Beyond TV would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of all the lands from which our listeners join us. The Beyond TV team are privileged to live and work in Mianjin on Turrbal and Yugara country. We pay our deepest respects to the traditional custodians of these lands and to all elders. We also pay our respects to all First Nations women and children who have been impacted by domestic and family violence. Welcome to Stories Beyond DV. My name is Carolyn Robinson, and I am the founder and managing director of Beyond DV. Beyond DV is an organisation that supports women and children as they rebuild their lives from domestic and family violence. During this podcast series, we will be speaking with six incredible survivor advocates, each with their own story of recovery. In each episode, we'll be calling on an expert to give us some information about each topic we cover. In this episode, we'll be discussing recovering from financial abuse. This is one of the types of abuse we see so often in our organisation where women are left with virtually nothing to take into their new lives. I'd like to welcome our survivor advocate, Quantum, and Margot Parker, who will be speaking with Quantum today. I'm joined by Quantum Quest, which is your pseudo. It's your Sasha Fierce Beyonce name. I want one of those as well. We'll have to come up with one before the end of this. But I am joined by you this morning and I thank you so much for your time and being here with us. Tell me a little bit about your experience. You suffered financial abuse in your relationship. Tell me what that looked like for you. I grew up with a father who pushed me quite uh, like from the time when I was at school, pushed me into getting very good education and beyond education, basically to make me an independent. Because culturally, when you are a female, you're held back. And it is so important that to be independent, you have career behind yourself. And so I built my career before I entered into a relationship. And for the 17 years that I was married, it was right from the beginning, you could see that my husband wanted to make sure that I didn't have friends. I didn't have a career, like slowly it was the friends pulled out. And then my career, like not only that, he wouldn't let me socialize with my workmates or there were things that I could not do outside my work. And slowly it was more and more restricted. I couldn't do anything which was outside my actual working hours. Never mind, it involved work. Everything I did was controlled from the very beginning. And then soon I had my first child. And then it wasn't only him, his family as well said that, oh, you're the mother, you should be at home. You should be looking after the child. Uh, You shouldn't be working, you know, like that's your child. Even though I had daycare facilities, I was not allowed to use that because just I was a mother. Mm. I wasn't allowed to even go out uh, in the evening if um, uh, he went out to family gatherings or something. It was because I was a mother and I needed to stay home. So before I could return to work, I was pregnant with the second child. And then before I was able to return, I was pregnant with the third child. So slowly it 
formed a pattern where I could not go back to my full-time career. And every time I did try to return, because of my specified areas, there were some organizations that were willing to sort of look after the children so that I could return to work. And that also became a problem. Mm. Like, oh, why is it that I as a mother am not taking care. So the guilt was on me that, hey, these are my children. I'm supposed to be looking after them. So it was not till my youngest one was at least three years old when I decided to sort of start doing part-time work, returning part-time work. And there were a lot of organizations looking for me to, hey, come back, you know, like we'll offer you, you know, like support. It was always an issue. If I went to work, I was also expected to do the things at home plus the children. So it was like full-time looking after the children plus full-time, you know, like looking after the work as well. So slowly that um, became a problem. Then it was fights with my workmates. Uh, He'll try to destroy uh, my relationship at work, Mm. even with my bosses or with um, my colleagues. And it just slowly, slowly, it was getting withdrawn. And the time when I totally broke down was because I just found that the workplace was the safest place for me to be. But that's also was the place where I could cry because I could just like let it go. And um, that wasn't working out. So from work, I was taken to the doctors and uh, my boss said, I think you need to get on leave. But the pity, the only thing I look back at is, is that they did not link me up with domestic violence support because I didn't have the bruises. Did you know at that time, we now know that to be coercive control, the emotional abuse, the control, the isolation, the financial abuse as well. We now know what that is that that is also a part of domestic violence. It's not just about physical abuse, which is what we've been so conditioned to think. It is, did you know no. during that time that that's what that was? No, definitely not. And it's one thing that has actually restricted me from returning to my original job is because when I did eventually resign, I did not say that that's what it was. Mm. And even though I've got all the legal evidence post that, but in my original resignation, I did not say that's what it was because I really did not know that that's what it was. No. So how are they supposed to know, right? So it's one of those things, the more we can talk about this, the more awareness we can raise. You know, people are informed and educated. Workplaces could be more supportive. Um, But for you, that wasn't no. Available at the time. And which is like something that I'd like to be, you know, um, because people are talking about it, yet I still see that happening yeah. in my field. And the thing that like where I could see now looking back at it, like every pay that I got, every time I got the salary, I was questioned on every cent I spent. Mm. And it was already going into home loans. It was going into, you know, like some kind of thing. Like every cent was questioned. Like even when sometimes I paid the bill and there was a bill as an evidence, I was questioned as to, oh, where did this money go? And I'm thinking, hey, it's there. There's the bill and that's where it was. And then I started sort of thinking I'm going nuts, you know, and that's where like the whole gaslighting. Yeah, you question yourself and like, you know. Yeah. 
and their terms, you know, gaslighting is such a term, coercive control is such a term, narcissism is such a term that we're familiar with now, but you wouldn't have been familiar with them. You wouldn't have been familiar (laughs) with the words, let alone the behaviours that were being presented to you. Financial security is a huge contributor as to why women stay in their relationships because they feel like they don't have any money to be able to leave the relationship with, to set themselves up, to create a future for themselves. Do you think that that's probably one of the biggest barriers, financial insecurity or not having access to money that stops women leaving? Oh, definitely. And it's like when I left, I literally, I had no money, but I am Like, I don't know, I think that, you know, I was so blessed that even though I had no money whatsoever and I could not get legal aid because we had houses in our name, but there was always provisions made from somewhere or the other. And I think that's something that I believe was made you know, provided for me, whether it's blessings or whatever way you have a look at it, to show me, hey, you can get over this, you know, like it's going to be, you can make it through. How did you rebuild yourself financially from scratch? Oh, long way, long way. I was in debt, like about 80,000 in debt with credit cards, with, you know, like no money for the children. I had three children and all three of them went to school there was no money for their school. Like uh, one of them was transitioning from primary school to high school. And I think anybody who has changed schools, they know that it's everything from the beginning, from the shoe, socks, tie, hat, bag, everything. Uh, And then the books and all, you know, there's so much in there that you have to do. And we're looking at least two, three thousand dollars. And, you know, there's no funding in Queensland for students who go into high school. And I remember very well that I was at the shop, you know, with all the list there. And I'm thinking, I don't have the money. So I did ring him and say, hey, we need all of this. We don't have the money. Can you please help, you know? And I said, you don't have to give me the money. You can pay directly to the store so that you know that, you know, I'm not taking the money. It's for this. And he just hung up and just wouldn't do it. I left the things there, went and had a good cry. And then I hugged my son and I said, you know what? We'll get through this, right? And friend of mine, these are the, some key people come into my life that I was never even close to, and they actually helped me out. And they, he, uh, one of this couple, they loaned me money for the books. Then I had other people help me out in different things. But it's there was even a time uh, where this was like I still don't, uh, you know, believe in this. I filled up the petrol and I didn't have any money, but I just don't know why I did it. But I went, I filled up the car and I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use bits of money from different cars and see if I can somehow pay for it, right? As I was fondling through thinking, which one has got the most money that I can use for paying? I let other people go past me, so I'm still standing. And I remember it was a male voice asked me, which one were you at, you know? like, And I just said two, 
because that was my petrol station number, like two. And I didn't even look at this person. All I know, it was a male voice. Anyway, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to go and be very honest with this guy. And I said, hey, I don't have the money. I filled up the petrol. Here's my driver's license. Here, this is who I am. And I will pay you back somehow, right? Yeah. I, I just like, I had no idea. And he said, uh, was there anything else you wanted when I got to the thing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, your uh, petrol is paid for. Oh, it was like, the, like I still, I, to this day, I don't know who that person was who paid it. And how did that person know that I didn't have the money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, it blows me away, you know, like. And, yeah, that restores your faith in humanity, right? Yeah. There and, are such good people out there. And, <laughs> like today, I was um, in Woolworths and um, I saw this guy doing his shopping and he was going back. So I went, like, pretended that I was going ahead of him. I went and I just tapped my card and paid, paid it forward. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's just, beautiful. And, you, and, and I just walked away. Like, I didn't want him to say anything or anything. Like, you know, one lady abused me actually when I did that to her in one of the shops. She was, you know, like, oh no, you know, this should be this price. And I said, hey, here, I'll just get that for you. And she said, why? Why would you do that? And I said, no, it's just okay. And I walked away and she was still arguing with that girl. Like, <laughs> why did she pay for me? You know, but it's because I know what it was like when I had yeah. nothing. When I had nothing. How did Beyond DV come into your life and how did their services and their community and their support um, impact you? So I saw Beyond TV advertised. I had never heard of them advertised on Facebook. It said about if you have uh, suffered from domestic violence and you are now out of the relationship, that there is a program, four-week program, and it talked about goals, it talked about your appearance and things like that, that, you know, like rebuild your life sort of thing. Yeah. So it's basically beyond your domestic violence sort of, you know, experience. They said, oh, it's a four weeks. It doesn't cost you anything. And this is where it is. But we had to prove that we were legitimate cases. So I just sent a message back saying, I'm interested in this. It was the second group of people that went through the program. I didn't think that I'll be accepted. But yeah, the lady messaged me back and said, you know, we're happy to have you in the program, but can you provide us your protection order or something to show, you know? And so I sent him my protection order and then I was invited to the first day. So that was a funny day because in my situation, the police wouldn't help me. Even though they interviewed the children, they wouldn't go through the protection right because initially we didn't have no have nowhere to live, and I was staying in a car uh, with the three children, and they went young, like you know, one was in high school, and the other two were just like nine and eleven. I thought, oh my goodness, this is not really working out. Maybe I should go back home. You didn't feel like you had a choice, yeah, but to return to your abusive relationship. And, uh, you know, like whatever came, I was happy to put up with it because staying in a car, no money for food, and I was just, man, this is not life. Like, you know, Mm. this is... This is just not right, not for the children either, you know. And I thought if we go to the court and they find out that, you know, like I'm living, I can't provide for the children, 
you know, they're going to take the children away from me. Like, I, <laughs> I look back at the time and you feel sometimes the only way out is out of this world. It's the only way out. There was no other escape. And um, I can't even remember who and how we got in contact with the DV line. And they put us up in a motel for, uh, I think, two or three nights. But there was no food. So the school was very, very helpful in providing us with food. Both the primary and the high school, they provide the children the food and they gave me food as well. I look back at it and it's just, I can't even remember. I thought, I forgot about those days, you know, like. What was the turning point for you? It was just like, it was a choice whether you're going to, you know, going to go back to that or just persevere, you know, like things are going to change, right? Somehow or the other, Things were provided, like provide. I once somebody left two hundred dollars in my mailbox. I remember my the postman. He said he won it in Melbourne Cup sweepstakes at work, and he said we, he thought that I could do better with it. Yeah, and he left that. My best friend that I knew from day one of arriving in Australia, I said to her, hey, can you help me out with the groceries? And she said, no, I can't. And can you not tell my husband either? That's like kind of friends. We found out that, you know, like mm. all this time you thought they were your best friends and you find out that not all. And I didn't want the money. All I wanted was, you know, like if the, the groceries. Yeah, some groceries. There were people I didn't know that actually helped me out with groceries and people that I wasn't that close to, they helped me out. and The generosity of strangers. Yeah. I remember at one stage I messaged one of my friends to wish her happy birthday. It was 2nd of January and she said, you're not yourself. Like, are you okay? I said to her, I said, you know, I told my children that I'm going I'm going out to go and get some food. And I came back and he said, oh, mom, I thought you went to get some food. I said, I went to five charity stores and none of them were open or had any food because over the Christmas and New Year, they were closed and they didn't. And she said, oh, my goodness, why didn't you ask? But I... If I asked my best friend and she said, no, how can I ask other people, right? So she said, just hang up and I'll get back to you. The next thing I had, you know, like about an hour, a whole trolley full of food wow. <laughs> arrived, you know, at the house. So there were good things and bad things. Like I remember because it was, we did it close to Christmas was around end of the year when we got away, right? I went to our normal church Christmas carols and there was sausage sizzle. So I said to the boys, hey, come on, at least there's food there. Let's go there. It's sausage sizzle, you know, like food. My son had one sausage sizzle and he went back for another one because he was hungry. And I said, yeah, go back for another one. And the lady turned around and said to him, you've already had one. Don't come back for another one. I know you've had one. And I look back at it. I haven't returned to the church, you know, but I look back at it and I'm thinking, 
you know our situation. Compassion. There wasn't any. No. And but on the other hand, there were people I didn't know who showed such generosity. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, been a process for you. <laughs> yeah, huge. So a go, long process? How many years has it taken you to get to this point where... It's a bit... Seven years? Yeah. <laughs> seven years. Like, I wouldn't say we're like I've fully recovered because house needs repair and things like that. But I've learned things from Beyond DV, the program that I went through. Like, going back to your question where you asked me... How did I do with Beyond DV? Like, when I went there the first day, I went up and down, up and down the stairs, finished about uh, half a packet of cigarettes, and I thought, these guys are not going to help me because I already had, by that time, had experience of people who wouldn't help. And I thought, this is just people, they just want to name, like, tag you, oh, yeah, I'm helping this many people, yeah. you know, sort of thing. I'm sorry, but that's how my initial thing was. Then I went... Uh, I made that you know, step to go up. I had my youngest son with me and I thought, okay, let's try this. Give it a go, right? When I went up and I met the other ladies and there was no judgment. Nobody was judging you as to, oh, you stunk of cigarette. I can't stand smell of cigarette anymore, you know, like, but like I was thinking of cigarettes and I can't even remember if I had even shower because at that time I was suffering from depression. And yet there was no judgment whatsoever. And there were clothes there. There were, you know, like food. And you could just help yourself to whatever you wanted. And I just didn't know what to grab. Like, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, like, this is too much, you know, like to do. And I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to do this. So the very first one was more about your appearance, like, you know, teach makeup. And do you know, uh, that was only once in my life. I mean, I'm over 50. I had only done makeup once, and that was the wedding. Wow. Well, because you weren't allowed? Oh, because otherwise, if I did makeup and all, or I was putting it up for because I was going to meet some man. Yeah. And to be very honest with you, like, you know, despite all number of times I was cheated on and what I was put through, I never looked at another man. Mm. And not only that, like even now, after all these years of separation and divorce, I'm not interested in a relationship. So why, when I was married, would I be looking at another person? You know, so if I dressed up nice or if I put on makeup, it was because I was having an affair. Yeah. Uh, even if it was to work, I was having an affair with my workmates. Oh, my goodness. How many people that I worked with I had an affair with, according you to him? You were busy. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, right. I don't know if I was really going to work or I was going to have an affair. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. And it was, you know, I look back at it, like, come a long way. <laughs> How is the relationship with yourself now? Oh, I love my own company mm. and I love where I am. I hope like there is a lot more to be done, but I am so happy with my own company. I'm so happy with where my children are at the moment that I'm in control. I don't control any of my children. Like they had the freedom of choice, choice. whether it comes to food, clothes, what they want to study. Like my daughter chose a different, totally different course to what I would have chosen for her. And I'm happy with that. 
and she's thriving in that and the choice of the partners and things you know like it's just no i'm not going to control i love my freedom and i want them to have that freedom but i'm there to provide if they want to come back to me to you know lean on for mm. something yeah What did the moment feel like when you returned to work because you chose to be able to go back because you wanted to? Uh, at first, I didn't think I could make it. Yeah, because I was so mentally broken. Like, even though having had good education, you know, like advanced education, um, to go back, I had no faith. Like, and I just thought people are going to judge me. My workmates are going to judge me. Am I going to be able to do the housework, look after the children, and work? Like, a lot of self doubt. A lot of self doubt. I think my first couple of years of working full time was really, really huge struggle. Mainly because my mindset was like, "Hey, you had no self worth. No, because it had been taken away from you. Yeah, for so long." And it was like, hey, I, I don't think I can do this. But, you know, you did. Looking, I, I know, like now look at it. I've been offered few jobs that I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I could take that one now. But I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I've been doing this now for over four years. And while it's not my original career that I was in, but in my role, a lot of organizations can see my passion in helping the people that I help. And it's only because of what I've gone through, you mm. know, like. Lived experience. Yeah. And and that's what I'm giving to the world back. I'm proud of you. <laughs> that's Thank amazing. You. Good on you. What an incredible feat that you overcame, right? Mm. Not just for yourself, but for your children and, and for your family. What mm. advice would you give to women who are out there who are struggling in their relationships or who are going through the process of leaving a relationship and struggling financially, what advice would you give to them? Well, first of all, if you are in a relationship, whether it's good or bad, because you never know what it's going to turn out to be, right? I think it's very important to have your own little nest that you're building. I mean, it's all good if the relationship is good. Because you can use that later for whatever, your child, your child's education, your child's whatever, right? Or, you know, like say your marriage was doing really good or your relationship was doing really good. You could treat the two of you to a nice holiday or whatever, right? Okay, then people can question me, oh, do you say that I don't trust my partner? That's between you and your partner, right? But if your partner totally supports you, they should allow you to be able to save little away from your income every fortnight, every week, whatever whatever you choose. That's a first step, like, hey, to you preparing for future. Financial independence. Yeah, financial No matter what your situation. Never mind whether it's a good relationship, whether it's a bad relationship, or whether, you know, like you have any doubt. It's not about trust. It's about you being you. Being allowed to be you is where your relationship should be, right? And secondly, I think if you think that, hey, if I'm going to get out, I'm going to, you know, like be stuck without nothing. The support that is out there now is much, much more than what I did. Mm -hmm. And ask, ask as many people or organizations. Like I know Commonwealth Bank and there are some other groups, they provide financial counseling and guide you as to how to manage money if you get out. 
I'm sure there are a lot of other helps. Like in my situation now, I don't have any debts whatsoever. I don't have a card that I'm paying towards. I don't have a loan. I don't have a credit card. When I finished with Beyond DV, the four weeks course with Beyond DV, there were help after that, like you wanted a career goals or you wanted financial help or things like that. So I actually utilized every help that was given to me and actually took it on board. So I went to the financial counselor and I had few sessions with her. So she taught me about budgeting. She taught me about able to sort of have this, what we call it, and I actually help the other people with that too, have three accounts. So there's one account where money's coming in, and then there is an account that I transfer money to, which I use for every day. Now, that account, I call it my risk account. So I use that account also for maybe online shopping or something like that, and there's only money going in there when I need it. And that way... It's not connected to my main account where my salary goes in. So that is always safe. And then also every fortnight, I'm not doing it myself. It's already set there so that I'm not tempted not to do it, right? Or forget to do it. Money goes into my savings account. And you have a goal, like maybe to you it's 5000 or 10000 and never go below that. And that's your savings for whatever you want to do. Like I've got an overseas trip coming up. I said to the boys, when things get better, I'll take you on to a adventure that I went when I was a child. And one of that was like um, what you call houseboat. And I took the boys to houseboat, not to one, to three of them. And those are little things that they remember. Like we talk about it even now. It's, you know, like look forward to something. So you have the three ways. And in any of those, like I wouldn't say that I am mingy or I'm restricted to what I do. I go away. We eat out to nice, good restaurants. I've got my own knife at Black Heights. So. Oh, fancy. <laughs> so, you know, like it's not that we are restricted, but what we are doing is we use the money we have rather than live on borrowed money. Yeah. Because that borrowed money becomes big, 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 and you're never out of that hole. Living within your means. Yeah, yeah. Not beyond it. Yeah, and that's the best advice I got from the financial counsellor. And the other thing is that women need to know that if you are in debt that has been created through an abusive relationship because you are forced to, you know, like for whatever reason, some of the help that's available there is financial hardship. The different ways and it's case by case, different banks and different organizations help you to get out of that debt as well. You know, but I'm not a financial counselor, but these are the things that I utilize right, yeah. myself. And always go to a financial counselor and so many organizations, it's free. Doesn't cost you any money. But what the advice they give you, you got to be serious about it. You know, like like I'm not serious about my weight loss, right? So I'm not going to give you any advice about weight loss, but I need to do that. So when I'm serious about it, I'll take that on. And just like my smoking, like I've given up smoking now for over four years and I can't stand the smell of smoke. But previously, I was not ready to do it, right? Well, financial control, that's something that I wanted to get out of, out of the debt, out of, you know, money controlling me. When you're ready... Go and ask for financial counseling and actually be serious about it. Yeah. 
because there is hapa. We live in Australia. We don't live in a country. We're very fortunate to be living here. Actually, you know, there is help. There is help and there is hope. Yes. And you are a shining example <laughs> of that. And we appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you so very much for sharing your story. Thank you. I'd like to now welcome our expert, Rebecca Glenn. Rebecca is the CEO of the Centre for Women's Economic Safety, a registered charity she founded to support women experiencing economic abuse in the context of domestic and family violence. The centre advocates for structural and systems change to better support women's economic safety and to reduce the impact of abuse. I really like this question because so often that why does this happen is left out of the discourse. You know, we we talk about poverty and domestic and family violence like there's a natural correlation. In fact, what we know is between 78 and 99% of women experiencing domestic and family violence are experiencing economic abuse as part of that broader pattern of behaviours. And so what we have is domestic and family violence with economic abuse driving poverty. And it's happening because partners are exerting their control through the economic life of their partner or or spouse. So that could be restricting a person's access to money and finances. It could be sabotaging employment, destroying property. It could be exploiting their partner and their resources. So for instance, forcing them to take out debt for things that they don't necessarily want or benefit from. So we have these three major categories of economic abuse, sabotage, exploitation, and restriction. And really what perpetrators are doing is using these to exert control and constrict the life of their spouse or partner. Now, of course, this is all happening against a backdrop, a backdrop of structural disadvantage for women economically. We know that they are paid less, that the expectations are that they will do more of the unpaid care work. And our systems, which, you know, we think of being there as a safety net, and I'm talking about welfare, child support, family law, these are actually systems which tend to make things worse for women post-separation. So we see punitive and inadequate welfare payments. We see a child support system that has too many loopholes and many women not receiving the child support that they need to properly support their children. And of course, the burden is all on women to chase that child support, to prove that the child support is owed. And family law, similarly, very, very unhelpful, often creates more costs for women, as well as dragging out and creating emotional, psychological and time costs for people. For women who are experiencing economic abuse and are looking for support, if they've got debt, then obviously a financial counsellor is a really essential, you know, champion to have on your side. It's one of the concerns that we had at the Centre for Women's Economic Safety and was really the driver behind us setting up money clinics. Uh, So that is providing free and confidential support to people with financial questions as a result of the economic abuse. And our money clinics are run by financial counsellors also. So we can help with debts and a range of other financial concerns that someone might be experiencing. And we know with finances, as tempting as it is to put one's head in the sand, the sooner that you can address the issues that have been created by a perpetrator, the better your chance of economic recovery. But it is a tough road. 
Thank you for listening to Stories Beyond DV. And thank you to our guests, our survivor advocate Quantum, our interviewer Margot, and our expert Rebecca. On our next episode, we'll be talking about recovering from systems abuse. We hope you can tune in. If you are being impacted by domestic and family violence, or you know someone else who is, please don't hesitate to reach out for help, either by calling 000 if you are in immediate danger, or the National Domestic Violence Helpline at 1800RESPECT. You can find out more information about the programs and services we offer for victim survivors of domestic and family violence on our website, beyonddv.org.au. Please follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode and share with a friend. It really helps to spread the word. You never know who might need to hear this. Stories Beyond DV was made possible with support from the Zonta Club of Brisbane. This series was produced and sound designed by Tiffany Dimack. I'm Carolyn. Take care and I look forward to talking to you next time.